strange occurrence took place as you will see. The beggar fell upon his knees and he cried, oh pardon me, I am unworthy in thy presence to be. But the king looked at the beggar and he said, you've been set free. Your sins are all forgiven now, and you're born in royalty. So the king and the beggar walked on arm in arm. You see, that king was Jesus, and that beggar was me. He who was rich became so poor that a beggar rich might be. The son of God became the son of man. That we poor fallen sons of men, the sons of God might be. I can't explain it, God's wondrous saving plan. But the king looked at the beggar and he said, you've been set free. Your sins are all forgiven now and you're born in royalty. Born in royalty. And so the king and the beggar walked up arm in arm. You see, that king was Jesus, and that beggar was me. That king was Jesus, the king of kings, and that beggar was me. glad to have Brother Putnam with us, and he's going to come and share with us. He has a few things he might share about the ministry. If he doesn't share something that you are, uh, maybe you have a question about, make sure you see him or his wife following the service. I know they'd be more than happy to answer any questions that you have. He's going to come and share a little bit about the ministry and then preach the Word of God. Brother Putnam. Thank you so much. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Donald and church for allowing us to be here. And again, my name is Keith and my wife, Jamie, there. Jamie, if you don't mind standing there, just in case uh, they miss you there. Wife, Jamie, and then our daughter, Lainey. And uh, she is almost two and she is uh, running all over the place. So if you see a small child running, it might be yours or it's probably mine. Amen. So, and we're very excited about what the Lord has called us to do. And we are currently on deputation headed for Brazil, as Pastor mentioned. And that video had a lot of... Uh, a video from our recent survey trip in, uh, in Brazil. We were down there for a month, and the Lord was very good to us as we traveled and uh, safety, and it was just a wonderful time. Really, Lord gave us some vision about uh, future direction for us and our ministry. And one of those things was about where we'd be working when we first got down uh, to Brazil, working with a veteran missionary. And so we're excited. We're going to be working with uh, uh, Brother Ed Johnson and his family. And Brother Dan Johnson, you saw there in the video, he has been a missionary in Brazil for 44 years. And his son, Ed, the youngest son, and uh, we're excited about working with them. They have been back in Brazil now as missionaries for 14 years. And so we're excited about the opportunity that we have to work uh, with them when we first get there and uh, learn the language, learning uh, Brazilian Portuguese. We're excited about that. We'll be uh, studying that with him and a few other church members there uh, in Tabate. It's a city about two hours north of Sao Paulo. And Sao Paulo, of course, is a city of 21 million people, a very large city, a very, uh, very needy place. But uh, Tabate, where we're going to be for our first term, a city of about 300,000. And so there still is a great need even there. And we're excited about the opportunity that we'll have to uh, be working basically from the moment we get there. Brazil uh, com commonly is thought of as a Catholic country, and it certainly could be so uh, historically, especially. But in the last 20 years or so, uh, charismatic churches have really started to grow in number and grow in popularity. And so there's a great deal of uh, confusion about 
uh, the gospel there in Brazil. And so we do cover your prayers as we go, that the Lord would give us uh, boldness in our witness and that the gospel would go forth with clarity and that people would be saved for his honor and glory. Of course, ultimately, as uh, we said, our desire is to see churches established, and that will be done through uh, soul winning, personal discipleship and, and, that, and those things. And so please do pray for us. If you haven't stopped by the table, uh, we're just outside one of the doors. I think that door right there, uh, over to the door to the right here. And we're just outside there. Pick up one of our prayer cards, and we'd love to, as Pastor mentioned, answer any questions that you would have about us. We started traveling last September. And uh, we praise the Lord. We have 50% of our support coming in at this point. And so please be in prayer with us as we travel and a lot of miles that we'll be putting on uh, the car, already have put on the car. And also for uh, Jamie, she's actually, we're expecting baby number two here in March. And so uh, we're excited about that. We're expecting a boy, uh, but that adds to, the, uh, adds to the fun of deputation and to the traveling. So just pray for, for Jamie and pray for us as we, as we do travel. But again, thank you so much, Pastor Wherever he went, I don't know where he went. Uh, there he is, there he is. Said he to my wife. Okay, the, the same pew, there we go. Very good. Thank you again, Pastor, for allowing us to come and present our ministry. Have your Bible. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13 tonight. Matthew chapter 13. And uh, we're going to read a, a verse of Scripture this evening. And we're going to look at several different passages of Scripture. But tonight we're going to look at a parable of Jesus Christ speaking about uh, the kingdom of heaven, and I think uh, learn some valuable lessons. And tonight, we'll just share a little bit our heart for Brazil, our heart for for missions. And I love the uh, I love the the theme of the year, your reasonable service. You know, we sometimes we get to thinking that what we've done for Jesus Christ is uh, sufficient, and certainly we understand that uh, our our service to Him, we our our relationship in Him is secure. Amen. In Jesus Christ, and we are accepted at the moment of salvation. But understand that our labor for Him ought to be pleasing and honoring unto the Lord. And so I'm excited about, uh, I'm excited about that verse, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's something that each and every day, a sacrifice is something that's not alive. It's something that's dead. And it's something that we ought to present to the Lord and that he might use for his honor and for his glory. So let's look tonight in Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to read one uh, verse tonight, Matthew 13, verse 44. Matthew 13, verse 44. And the Bible says here in Matthew 13, verse 44, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth, and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. We'll read it one more time. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth, and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to hear your word. Now, Father, I pray that you would just speak to hearts, open our hearts, our minds, and ears. Lord, please challenge us for what we help us to be more like you. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone in this room that does not know you as their Savior, that Lord, even tonight would be the night that they put their faith and trust in you. And Lord, I pray that you challenge our hearts. Lord, help us to get a vision for the world. Help us to see a lost and dying world, Lord, that we can have an impact on if we would just lift our eyes and see the harvest that's just beyond our gaze. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit, Lord, work in hearts as long as you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I, I, love, I love the Bible, and I think that sometimes we read the Bible almost like it's a, a book just full of, 
of uh, stories that happened a long time ago and almost like fiction, but these, these things really happen. And we look and we see that Jesus Christ is talking here in Matthew chapter 13. He's giving to us parables or he's giving to us uh, allegories or things that we could understand a truth, a heavenly truth, in a more uh, a graspable way as uh, humans. And it, as Jesus Christ is uh, speaking through the different parables about what the kingdom of heaven is like, he comes and he's speaking through different things. We see he uh, likens it to, uh, to uh, uh, different, uh, uh, the sower and the seed. We find that in the beginning part of the chapter here. We find that he later on talks about the fact that it's like uh, weeds that have been planted in good places. He talks about also that it's as if it were a, 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 a leaven or basically yeast in a, a loaf of bread. He talks about a, a mustard seed. All of these things that Jesus Christ is trying to get us to understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. And you know, sometimes uh, we, we get to the idea that there's, there's, uh, a, a, we can't understand these truths. And so God uses these parables as a means to try and to convey these truths to us. In verse 44, we find a, a one of these parables. It's, it's the shortest one in the chapter, but it's the parable of the field with hid treasure. Now, I don't know about you, but as a kid, I, I kind of had a, a large imagination. And I always thought it would be neat if I could go into my backyard and uh, start digging, and lo and behold, I would find some, some treasure, some buried treasure in my backyard. Anyone else like me? I, I thought that'd be pretty neat, you know? Well, there was actually a couple in California, Northern California, in the February of 2013, uh, that actually this really did happen to them. Any, any gold, uh, or gold collectors, any uh, coin collectors in here, any coin enthusiasts? Okay, none, all right. Well, there was a couple, and in Northern California, they were walking their dog on their property in February of 2013. They had uh, walked away many times before, but this time they noticed a, a canister, and it was uh, rusty, and they saw it, and they weren't really quite sure what it was, and so they went and they, uh, they picked it up, and at first they thought, it was, uh, they thought it was lead paint. They thought it was just an old paint can. Long story short, they got it home, and by the time they got it home, they realized that inside of this canister, uh, there were gold coins. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm with you. I would have said, yeah. Well, so they went back to the, uh, to the place they found the one. They ended up finding 1,427 coins Valued face value of $27,980. Not bad, uh, even if it was just face value. Well, the, the rest of the story is these coins had been minted in the late 1800s. And these were, uh, they had double eagles and all these different things. I'm not a coin collector, so if you are, you can tell me about it later. They found 1,373 $20 coins, 50 $10 coins, and four five-dollar coins. Uh, these were mint conditions, never had been circulated. And uh, the couple found it, contacted lawyers, they contacted the treasury, and of course our federal government uh, would make sure if it had been seized from them that they would get their property back, but it was not uh, linked to any robbery or anything like that. And so the couple, uh, it is in their possession and it was valued at over $10 million. Not bad for uh, a walk in the backyard, I'd say. Not bad. 
But here we find that Jesus is using a parable, and he's not using a, a uh, he's using a parable, but this is a real story that really happened right here in Northern California in 2013. This treasure that was found in the backyard. And what the idea here is that this man finds a treasure, and this man values this field and values this treasure so much that he goes and all that he has, the Bible tells that he sells all of it so that he might get this field back for himself. Now we understand that he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And we understand that Jesus Christ, when speaking of the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about the, the great sacrifice and, and the great value that he put on the souls of man. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about those that have trusted Christ as their savior. In the first four parables that he uses here in chapter 13, it might be described as, as from man's perspective. It's the, uh, you know, the sower going to sow and it's the, the wheat and the, the tares among the wheat and, and it's... And and it's all of these things. But now he, he's speaking from a heavenly perspective. And he's showing us the great value that God put on this field and God put on this treasure. Several things by way of introduction about this field. When we look at the field, there are three things that I see in this field. First of all, obviously, there's treasure in the field. That's the very first thing we learn about this field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. There is treasure in the field. There's treasure in the field. Now again, we're, we're not talking about a, just a field that has uh, coins or has a, a safety deposit box or has a, a, a great stash of gold, but we are talking about, we are talking about people here. Treasure. Treasure. These people. And we understand that everything that, was, that Jesus Christ found, when he found this treasure, Jesus Christ came and gave all. Think about all that he gave up for you and for me. He left the splendors of glory. And boy, we're coming to Christmas time, and what a wonderful thing. And sure, I, you know, we understand that Jesus Christ probably wasn't born on December 25th, okay? But let's, let's understand uh, that it's a time where we can recognize the great sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. That the splendors of heaven was, came and was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, and died a, a cruel death. Philippians chapter 2 talks about the fact that he died, and even the death of the cross, it wasn't just some uh, an average, normal death. This was the most vile, the most uh, excruciating, most painful death that any man could ever die, and he died it for you and for me. Love that verse, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There was treasure in the field. Secondly, there's also joy to be found in the field. There was joy to be found. He says, again in verse 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. For the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth, and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. There was joy. Now, you, know, you might ask, okay, we're talking about Jesus uh, and his sacrifice on Calvary, and we're talking about the great price that was paid for you and for me and for the kingdom of heaven. Where, where's the joy? Where's the joy in dying on the cross? Where's the joy in, in he submitted to the Father's will, amen? Aren't you glad he submitted to the Father's will? And I'm glad that he went on the cross, and I'm glad, but where, I mean, really, from a human perspective, where's the joy in that? Well, go with me very quickly to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12. 
Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, the Bible says there, looking unto Jesus, if you find your place there, Hebrews 12 verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Understand tonight that, listen, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He was not just looking at the immediate pain and the immediate sorrow and and the rejection and Jesus Christ having, think about this, his father turned his back on him. The the separation and all of those things that he went through, he was not just looking at the immediate. He was not just looking at the the crucible of suffering that he would go through, but he saw the great joy that was set before him. And that joy that he saw was not only the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2 talks about the fact that he, again, we already mentioned, he, he died on the cross and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, it doesn't, the chapter doesn't stop there, wherefore God hath highly exalted him and hath given him a name which is above every name. That's why tonight we can with all confidence preach the name Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. Not through a church, not through a pastor, not through a pope, not by being a good person. None of those things, but only through Jesus Christ. Because of his death, burial, and resurrection. We found that this joy was what Jesus Christ was looking to. He endured the cross for you and for me, despising the shame. And today is seated at the right hand of the Father. And one day every knee will bow of things in heaven and things in earth. And will, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we find that there was treasure to be found. There was uh, a joy to be found. Thirdly, we find, and this is important, there is an example to be found in the field. There is an example to be found. Now you say, in this story we find, let's go back to Matthew chapter 13. We, we see that this man goes and, and sells all that he has, everything, so that he might uh, find and might get this treasure and get this field back to him. You say, you mean I have to sell everything that I have in order? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I want you to understand this. I want you to understand the great value that God places on this field. The great value that was placed on this field. Now tonight we have to understand there is a vast difference between worth and value. Is there not? Worth and value. And this is kind of a basic economics idea, but we understand that, you know, uh, we're coming into wintertime, right? We've already got some snow on the ground. All right, a shovel at uh, Home Depot or Walmart or wherever you, you buy your, uh, your friendly neighborhood shovel seller, uh, it's what, maybe $10, $15 if you buy a deluxe model, $20, bucks, $25, right? That, I mean, that's not worth-wise, that's not worth a ton of money. But if you have a foot of snow on your sidewalk and you don't have a shovel, the value of that shovel just increased exponentially, did it not? How about a, a rainstorm, uh, an umbrella? Again, maybe $20, $25. Maybe you buy a nice one for $50. I don't know. That's not me. But uh, you buy it, great, you got it. You don't think much of it, right? But you get stuck in a rainstorm without an umbrella. And that $20 umbrella, what do we say, becomes invaluable. We have to understand tonight there's a difference between worth and value. See, in and of myself, my worth is nothing. Understand, 
we had been created in the image of God, but when he created us, we were created out of dirt. So that ought to help our ego tonight, amen? Uh, we were created, and, but the Bible does say that he picked up the dust of the ground and breathed into it, what? The breath of life. And what a wonderful thing. The Bible says, and man became a living soul. Not only were we created in the image of God, but we were given the eternal breath. And I'm not talking about immortality in our human flesh. We understand it. But listen, man became a living soul. And in and of ourselves, our, there is little worth in us. But listen, God put a great value. And God placed a great value on the field. Because when he saw the field, when he saw the treasure, he didn't just see a, a worthless person like me. He saw a never dying soul. And when he looks at the world today, and we'll get to that in a moment, he doesn't just see seven and a half or 7.2 or however many billion people there are on the earth. He sees people with a never dying soul. And the example was that he went and sold all that he had. And as a result, we find that the value, listen, the value of the field is found in the sacrifice made. The value of the field is found in in the sacrifice made. The sacrifice was he went and sold all that he had and for joy and he sold it that he might buy that field. Now, we've been going through and we've been talking about this specific, specific parable, but go with me just a few verses before, verse 37 and verse 38. Again, he's in the midst of all of these different parables about uh, about the kingdom of heaven and talking about them and the, we have the parable of the sower and the seed. We have all these different parables And in uh, explaining one of these parables, verse 37, he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. In verse 38, the field is the world. The field is the world. And looking at verse 44, this treasure that was hid in the field, the kingdom of heaven, that this man went and sold all that he had, the example that is found is the great sacrifice, the great sacrifice that was made to buy the field back. Now, when we talk about a field, when we, when we look at a field, when God sees the world today, he does not just see mountains and he does not just see waterfalls or uh, skyscrapers or airports. He does not see just that. He, again, he sees people. He sees people. Go with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. A very familiar portion of scripture. John chapter 4. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. and He must needs go through Samaria. He's there and he's at Jacob's well leaning there. And he's been talking to this woman. A woman of ill repute. A woman who really uh, really had a messed up life up to this point. Ultimately we find that she goes back into the town and And says, come see a man that uh, told me all things that ever I did. Is this not the Christ? And while this is happening, Jesus uh, and his disciples come back to Jesus and begin to talk to him. And they, ever the the ones that are looking for a, a good reason, a good excuse, they begin to tell him that, hey, you need to eat. You know, it's a good thing when we tell God what to do, amen? And uh, they say, hey, you need to eat. And Jesus says, hey, you you guys don't understand. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. You know, and they, they're, they're kind of confused because, again, they're so focused on the here and the now. They're so focused on the, the food. They're so focused on all of these things that they, they miss the point of what he's talking about. 
So go with me to John chapter 4, and let's pick it up here in verse 34. Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. And verse 34, 35, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. When Jesus looks at the world today, when he looks at the field, he doesn't just see, you know, all the, beautiful, all the beauty that we see in this world. Listen, he sees souls. When Jesus is talking to them, the Bible says, in the meanwhile, in verse 31. So while the woman is going, there's a great crowd of people coming out to see Jesus. There's a great crowd of people that are coming to, to see this man that told this woman all the things that ever she had done. Is this not the Christ? While this is happening, Jesus says, listen, lift up your eyes. Listen, he's talking about the harvest. He's not just talking about the fields that were undoubtedly uh, around him, but he's looking at the great crowd of people that are coming out to him. And he said, hey, get your eyes off yourself. Stop being so self-focused. Look around. There's a great harvest, and this harvest, say not the uh, four months, and then cometh harvest. I say, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white Already to harvest. This was a harvest that was immediate. There was a great harvest that was needed then and now. And as I said in the video, I'll say it again. If the harvest truly was plenteous, and if the harvest were, and the labors were few in Jesus' day, in Matthew 9, how much more so today? A harvest that is ready. A field that the price has been paid. Jesus values the field so much that he gave all that he had to to buy that, to redeem that field back to him. And so tonight I want to look at four lessons from the field. Four lessons from the field. First of all, God's field displays a readiness. We saw that here in John chapter 4. God's field displays a readiness. There's a great readiness already, a white and ready harvest that God is looking for somebody. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But there are people all over the world that somebody needs to tell the gospel to. Aren't you glad that somebody reached you with the gospel? Whether that was your dad, I got saved when I was six, amen. But whether that was your dad, your mom, or the pastor, or one of, somebody in this room. Listen, aren't you glad that somebody reached you with the gospel? I wouldn't be ashamed if you never had one time heard about Jesus Christ. I think of Brazil, again, a country that is steeped in Catholicism. They're steeped in religion. But listen, Brazil doesn't need more religion. I say this carefully. They don't need more churches. Now hear me out. Because churches, religion isn't going to save anybody. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And our desire is to go that we might take the gospel and labor to get the gospel to them. Because listen, there is a a harvest, there is a field, and that field displays a readiness. Number two, God's field, this is important, this is where it gets personal. God's field desires reapers. He said here in in John chapter 4, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. The question That must be asked, then, is who will reap this harvest? Who will reap this harvest? There's a great throng of people coming to see Jesus Christ. In Matthew 9, when he sees the the multitude, and he's moved with compassion, and he he says the harvest truly is plenteous, and the labors are few, what are we going to do? 
We know the answer. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth labors into his harvest. Tonight, let's never forget that it is his harvest. It's God's harvest. And as such, don't you think God is concerned with his harvest? You know, if you're any farmers in here, I know we're a little bit more citified uh, uh, here, but, uh, you know, I, there's farms all over the Midwest. You know, a farmer goes out in March or April and spends all the money, plants the seed, pesticide, whatever, and that's it, right? Doesn't care about anything else. No, he is interested in a harvest. And the harvest is God's. We must never forget that God's field, God's harvest, desires reapers. There's another parable he gives us in Matthew chapter 20. And every hour there's, there's a great harvest that is being, uh, that is being undergird. And every hour the, the master would go out and would look for more labors for this harvest. And every hour, even until the very last, the 11th hour, this man is going out and looking for labors. The harvest demands labors. Is looking for labors. Tonight, God is looking for labors. And listen, our labors, we can't just labor in our effort and think that it's going to be okay or try to do it in our power. Listen, our labor must be done with the right means. We must do it through the power of God. That verse, Philippians 2, 16, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Listen, we can live a life in our best power and in our best ability and it will all be in vain. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to scare you, but let's understand that that is a reality. When, when lived in our power, when, when done through our strength, everything that we do in our strength is going to be in vain. That's why Paul writes uh, to us in, in, in 2 Corinthians, he's talking about all of these things, about how our labor for Christ will be tried in the fire. And the things that will last for eternity that we might give back to him that would redound to the glory of God are the things that would be Gold, silver, and precious stone, but the things that are going to burn up of wood, hay, and stubble. And boy, you know, sometimes I think how much of what I'm living for is going to be wood, hay, and stubble versus gold, silver, and precious stone. This, we have to have the right means. We can't just go out and think, well, I can do it on my own power. I've got this. Hey, God's work must be done God's way. And we must do it with the filling of the Holy Spirit. We must do it with prayer. He said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth labors into his harvest prayer. We need a church that has prayer that God would send more labors into his harvest. You know, our desires, we've been going on deputation. Sure, we need support and prayer support. But listen, our prayer is that God would raise up another generation of labors for his harvest. You say, well, I, you know, I think, uh, I think the rapture is going to happen. Me too. I believe it's imminent. Amen? I believe it could happen in the... I know it'll happen in the twinkle of an eye. I believe it could happen in any second. But listen, until that time, we need more labors. We need more reapers for his harvest. His harvest desires reapers. Thirdly, God's harvest designates a reward. We already looked at this, but in Hebrews chapter 12, we saw that he endured the cross, despising the shame. For the joy that was set before him. There's, there's a reward for those that are involved in the harvest. Now, listen, I'm not talking about uh, financial prosperity. I'm not talking about 
a, uh, a prosperity gospel that's very popular in Brazil. And it's sad to see so many times in Brazil, people they are, have, are attracted to those kinds of churches. They, they end up getting burned, for lack of a better term. And they never want to darken the door of a church again. Now, we already said, it's, we understand it's not a church, it's Jesus Christ. But they get so turned off to anything that they won't even listen to the gospel because it's a prosperity gospel. We're not talking about that, but there is a reward. And that reward is that we might give honor and glory unto Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad you're saved tonight? I'm so glad to be saved tonight. I'm so glad... But you know, listen, we're not saved so that we can just keep to ourselves and we're on our way to heaven. We're not, I love what my pastor always say, listen, we're not saved to sit, we're saved to serve. And we've got to get busy. There's a great reward in being involved in his harvest. Paul talks about this reward in Philippians. And again, the Philippian church was a church that was uh, giving to him and was communicating, the Bible says. And that was not just, you know, in, in talking back and forth. But that was in financial support and in supporting the work that God allowed Paul to do in his ministry. And in chapter 4, he's giving a final uh, greeting. He's giving a final, you know, thank you for your labor. And one of the things he says, not that I desire a gift, but that fruit may abound to your account. His, Paul's desire was not so that he could amass this great ministry and have this big name up in the lights and, and have it all about him. Hey, listen, it's not all about me. It's not all about you. It's all about Jesus Christ. And tonight, we just need some Christians that are going to say, listen, I'm not worried if my name is up in the, in the, the big marquee. I'm not worried if I don't, my name's not in the, the biggest paper or whatever, or pastor doesn't even you know, mention my name from the pulpit. I'm going to serve Jesus Christ because he is is worthy. His, his field designates a reward. God's field displays a readiness, white unto harvest. God's field desires reapers. God's field designates a reward. And lastly, God's field demands a response. It demands a response. See, we can look at the world today and we can say, boy, it's getting bad out there. We can look at the world and say, man, it, it's getting tougher and tougher to, to raise a godly family. We can make all the excuses we want. We can look at the world and just and, and be, have any number of responses. But listen, the only thing that's going to make the difference is to simply go out and tell somebody about Jesus Christ. We see a world, that, a, a white harvest, it demands a response. It's either obedience or disobedience. It's either, either selflessness or selfishness. It's either giving or just hoarding what we have. It, it's not a binary option. It's not an either-or proposition. Either we are doing the work that God has called us to do. And then I remind you tonight, it's not just for pastor. It's not just for the staff. It's not just for the deacons. It's not just for the missionaries. Listen, it's for each and every one of us to be involved in the field. Amen. I was nine years old when God called me to preach. I was nine years old when God called me to Brazil. But listen, you know, even on deputation, I think it's so easy to think, well, one day we'll get to Brazil. And one day, hey, listen, one day is today. Because I don't know about tomorrow. But I know that there are people in my path each and every day that need to be saved. I don't know about that one day. Because I better get serving God 
today. Hey, teenager, you know, don't, don't wait till you're 20 years old and a light, you think a light switch is going to turn on and all of a sudden you're going to feel, oh, today I'm going to serve God and today I'm going to be served. Hey, listen, develop a relationship with God now. Find his heart now. Get on fire for God now. You're not going to wake up when you're 30 years old and say, oh, man, I feel great. No. Start to serve God today. Have a passion for God. Get a heart for God now because his field demands a response. It demands a response. You've heard the response. There's only one or two options, either obedience or disobedience. Either we're going or we're sending. Either we're we're doing our part or we're not. This response is personal. What am I going to do? What am I going to do to give? How am I going to get involved? Who can I reach with the gospel? Not only is it personal, but it's also pointed. Because either it's disobedience or it's obedience. I've heard it said, my dad used to say to me all the time, Hey, Keith, slow obedience is no obedience. And I, you know, I knew when he was saying that, I, I knew I was probably about to get busted, amen? But listen, it's either no obedience or obedience. And the, the field demands a response. We can't sit idly by. We look at a world today, seven, over 7 billion people. Who's going to reach the field? Who's going to reach the harvest? We need, we need some young people that have a heart to serve God. We need to say, God, you know what? Just use me. I, I, I don't know how. You might not send me to Brazil, but listen, you might not send me to the mission field. But God, if you want me to go, I'm willing to go. My response is, Lord, here am I. Send me. The response. It demands a response. It's his heart. It is God's heart. The field, he paid the ultimate price. He paid his precious Spotless blood on Calvary for the field. He gave it all so that he might buy the field for that treasure that souls and souls have always been in the balance. The field has been bought. It's harvest time. It's his heart. It's his harvest, but it is our responsibility. We need to get involved. I know I'm talking to a church that's solely minded, that's souls minded, but listen, we must never get away from this idea, from this fact that the one reason that you and I are here today is to tell other people about Jesus Christ. Church is not just a social club. Yes, we can come and, and fellowship and worship. And yes, I, I, love, I love being in church. I love being in church. I grew up in church. I love it. But listen, the reason that we're here tonight is so that we might go out and reach a field, the field that God has paid for on the cross of Calvary. Tonight, lessons from the field. His field displays a readiness His field desires reapers. His field designates a reward. And his field demands a response. What will your response be to the call of the field tonight? Father, I pray that you'd work in hearts. Father, I pray, God, that you would help us to understand.